Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Hello. So how was Meaningful Vote Week for you then? Well, you know, funnily enough, I went for the winding up of the uh, debate, but it was so packed, uh, I wouldn't have been able to see anything, so I decided to sit outside. You couldn't get in? So I watched it on telly. Uh, <laughs> like the rest of us. I did. I watched it behind the, what they call behind the speaker's chair on these benches outside. So is there not a system like with sun lounges where you can come put your towel down in advance? There is, but you never really understood it. I think you put some thing for your seat. But I think you, you don't have to be in with your there. hand that is suggesting that maybe you give somebody a backhander. No, no, no. You write a little slip and i think then you put it in there's a, like a, a sort of vertical shelf right where you can just put a sort of reserve yeah, yeah but I, I, those, those i never seats, really it never of, looks comfortable to me the house of commons it's actually more that it's quite hard to hear often you've there's little speakers in the seat so you and can, that's why it often looks like mps are nodding yeah. off but they're not nodding off they're leaning to one side sometimes to sometimes maybe they're <laughs> it's nodding a good off. excuse what do you sort of make of it all well, well i think what i make of it all is is what anybody makes of it was like, what the hell is yeah. going to happen? I mean, I just think that there is such a will in the across most of Parliament not to have no deal, and there is also a will in Europe that a way will be found to prevent no deal. I'm not complacent about it, but I feel quite confident. There's one thing I'd feel reasonably confident about. So this week, then, we're, we're not talking about the B word. So this week has got a slightly odd historical background, which is I'm making good on a promise I made probably six years ago so six years ago we got recognized by some people on holiday uh, one of whom was an architect called uh christophe igre uh, and he designed the clapham library and we got into a really interesting discussion about public space you know how can good public space create community how can it contribute to the environment how can it uh, so encourage make, social cohesion encourage social yeah. cohesion all of those things and i said well what would a government that was really committed to public space do and he sent me a long email after this sort of giving me ideas and i basically i'm in sort of total admission of failure I, I failed to do anything properly with it and so i just decided and I, it's been in my mind a lot because if i think about my constituency you know we have a this theatre the cast theatre and outside it we have really nice public space and it really contributes to the overall feel of the of doncaster and and you know i think it's something the continent does really well and so i've always i've sort of wanted to kind of talk about this anyway so you know i i i emailed christoph and i said six years late we now have this discussion so, so if ed makes you a promise he will keep it, yeah, but it so might six take years six later. years so, he, so christoph is coming in um to talk about these issues with anna minton who's written about these issues including the privatization of public space i, I do think this can this is this is kind of quite important for quality of life and in addition to that we are going to be joined by a comedian heidi regan who does a lot of shark based material 
Yes. Are, your, are your kids too old for Baby Shark? What is that? Oh, I mean, it's it's had more than a billion YouTube views. Well, it's a it's very a, that's a good <laughs> reason why I have never heard of it. <laughs> it's a very annoying song that it's it's like catnip for children. They're obsessed by it. So you're very lucky that your your boys are now of an age. Avoided where, it. Yeah, baby shark, daddy yeah. shark, mummy shark. Good. We'll be looking so forward on. to that. Yeah, and no no jumping the shark for us. Hopefully uh-huh. not. <laughs> well done. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. So now we yeah. segue into our reasons to be cheerful. What's yours? My reason to be cheerful is that the park run contagion is spreading. And I, I was at Finsbury Park, doot, doot, uh, not with you, <laughs> last Saturday. It's odd because it's your sort of local haunt. And, uh, but anyway, I, uh, so I was there and they had, I think it was 720 people. Wow. Uh, which was sort of 200 and something more than they'd had the previous week. We're wary of credit claiming, but they sort of said, you know, the, they called it the Ed effect. I mean, I immediately obviously said the Ed and Jeff effect. <laughs> uh, 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 I hastily added. Uh, but they, but, you know, they give out these tokens to sort of, which then you get your barcode, blah, blah, blah at the end. And the two things that struck me were one, for the first time, there was a big queue to get your barcode gotten beep, you know, done. Uh, and secondly, they said they ran out of tokens. They had to start using raffle tickets. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at the noise. Oh, yeah, made. yeah. Do you remember the Police Academy films? There was a man who would do the sound of machine guns and helicopters. I'm and auditioning for you're, that. You're in like case, that with your in cars case and police, your barcode machines. In case Police Academy 7 sort of <laughs> happens. What's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful is um, last week, uh, my wife said to me, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot your, uh, your, your soberversary yesterday. And I'd completely forgotten about it, but it was eight, 18 years last week since I stopped drinking. And I just did a little tweet about it because sometimes people will email me and ask me for, for yeah, advice who yeah. listen to, you know, the, the podcast or the radio shows that I do. So I just wrote a few tweets along that and it went crazy. Like people, you, you retweeted it, yeah. I know, and wrote some nice things, but, um, like lots of people got in touch and shared their stories oh, that's of really uh, nice. sobriety. Well, if and- I may say so, I thought the way you did it was just really good because it was sort of saying, it, it, it was sort of saying, I want to share my experience, but it wasn't sort of, it, it was just kind of quite humble and, and sort of gracious and, but, but also providing good advice for people. The trouble but in is, an understated way. The trouble is, I got hundreds of new followers off the back of that tweet. That's good. Well, it's not because I don't usually tweet earnest tweets about sobriety. Usually I just tweet nonsense. Well, no, and I'm feeling s- a lot of pressure about what I tweet next. Maybe you sort of suck them in. By the way, I, I had suck a, them in. Uh, but I had a sort of question about that, which is that I nearly tweeted back at you when you said, yeah, I've lost my hat. And I nearly tweeted back, you don't have a hat. I do have a hat. <laughs> I've never seen your hat. I've got a little woolly hat. I bought it when I was uh, in Manchester the other week. It's been lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was a very nice tweet and a very nice hat so you say reasons to be cheerful a podcast about ideas with ed Miliband and jeff lloyd i'm delighted to say that we're now joined by christoph egray architect and founder of studio egray west and also anna minton who is a reader in architecture at the university of east london and author of two books which relate to this subject one in particular ground control uh, and also a more recent book big capital thank you so much both for joining us thank you thank you so i'm going to start with christoph because christoph i said in the introduction that you know we met six years ago it was in lanzarote uh, in the harbour we got into a conversation about public space public buildings um all of that you told me about some of the work that you'd done and You've been on my conscience ever well, since. Let's see if that holiday romance can sustain. Yeah, it can. <laughs> Six it can, years later. It can, de- I'm sure it can. Away from the sunshine. It, it can, definitely can. So can I just start by asking you both why public spaces matter, in your view? First of all, we are becoming more urban. You know, 80% of the population will be urban in 2050. Uh, and therefore, we have to create spaces for our cities. The spaces of our cities are where we can express our sense of community. Uh, they also help to bring all the different kinds of architecture together around a public space. Uh, they're the places where we put trees and fauna and flora, and, and therefore they make us feel like we're real people following the seasons, and, uh, and they allow us to be all together, which is why we're in the city in the first place. Anna? Well, of course, I agree with all of that. I mean, I think one of the difficulties in talking about this topic is actually the idea of public space is almost too big. Public space is everything that isn't private space. So, you know, it's the street outside. It's the high street I just walked up. You know, 
my view of public space is it should be all non-private space. But the issue that we've started to see in recent years is that more and more of that public space is now in fact privatised. So that's brought with it a very different culture into our cities and all the things that Christoph has just talked about, you know, spaces for communities, spaces for social cohesion, spaces where different people can rub up alongside each other. Those are the things which foster trust between people and between communities and actually keep our cities working. I think really to properly function in a in a democratic, vibrant way, um, those places have to be truly public. I feel quite positive because, um, you know, 30 years ago, people didn't talk about placemaking. And, and now it's in the vocabulary of planners and it's in the vocabulary of politicians. Uh, and it's certainly in the vocabulary, has been a long time, of architects and urban designers and landscape designers. But it, we need to create more. We need to create them of better quality. We need to make spaces that uh, bring children and old people together. We need to stop compartmentalizing uh, children's play area from old people's home. We need to bring them together. We were talking before that often when you're in continental Europe, especially in the South, it's, they seem so much better at public spaces than we are. So there's so much more of a tradition, yeah. it feels is, like. Is that related to climate or is there is there other stuff going on? Well, I mean, I think it is related to climate. It's related to a cultural tradition, the passeggiata in Italy, yeah. in Greece, you know, families at six in the evening will just walk around um, the square. You know, there's a real public culture of just sitting outside and talking. But again, I, I don't want to sort of overdo it with the privatisation of public space. But in Greece, you know, the idea of having the streets of Athens privately owned would just be complete anathema. You know, it just wouldn't be culturally acceptable. And the vibrancy of those public spaces, you know, is just a sort of organic... I mean, it just sort of is, it's, it's much more spontaneous. So how has that crept up on us over here then? Well, I think it's been quite insidious because I think people haven't really noticed. It's been very, very gradual. And actually now they've begun to notice and we've started to have the debate. But really before Canary Wharf and Broadgate, we didn't really have any of these spaces. And it's only really been in the last 10 to 15 years that they've started to really become the template for all new development like in towns and cities across the UK. And it is part of that because of cuts. What it does is it takes it away from local authority budgets and private companies seemingly so. pick well, up the slack. Well, I think that's a very big factor. Clearly, local authorities are under more pressure than they have ever been before. And the private sector is happy to say, you know, we can take care of this. We can maintain this space to a far higher standard. We're providing additionality you know we're making it better but actually what you're losing in the process is the democratic right to the city because in these places you can't have a protest you can't hand out political leaflets you can't get up and you know say things you can't have gatherings you know you can't be a group of young people enjoying yourself and you know there are all sorts of activities like skateboarding and rollerblading you know even eating or drinking in some places which aren't allowed so it's a very different understanding of the city and it creates quite monocultural spaces so when we're looking at social cohesion and trust in the city monocultural spaces I don't think are actually you know very positive in that direction. Do you think it's entirely a bad thing or do you think there's a potential model where private companies still own space like this but they're more regulated and there are firm rules on what's allowed to happen in them? Well what I've actually started to become interested in recently is this idea of an urban right to roam which would build on the Labour Party's um, legacy of introducing the right to roam in I think it was the yeah. early noughties. Yeah. And I mean, I think it is now a reality that so much of the city is, in fact, you know, has already been rolled out in this way. And, you know, it's going to be very difficult to sort of introduce some sort of retrospective legislation. But since there is already this template... What would actually, it mean the urban right to roam? Well, essentially, in privately owned spaces, public rights of way 
don't exist. Yeah. And if they did exist before, they were stopped up, to use the terminology. And this would put public rights of way oh, back. And it would allow people to walk through and it would allow anyone really to come into these spaces. I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think that I, I would like that you can never put a gate to, to create a gated community or to close it at night. Um, and and the beauty of a city is its porosity. It's being able to take uh, a shortcut through a lane. It's really upsetting when you have to do a great detour to go somewhere really close. And that happens like, in private spaces. Well, it happens. I mean, e even like a, in my street, I had to fight for having a pedestrian passage so that people in the social housing next door could get to the tube station without having to do a huge detour. Uh, and it, it makes also a city more interesting because then you have secret London or you say have secret Birmingham of little places that only the people who live there really know the the, the area yeah. and it makes them feel like they, they know their, their, their manner and uh, it's a good feeling. I mean, you're completely right. And um, the Thames path is supposed to be a walk that you can do along the Thames. Yeah. And actually, if you do do that walk, which I've done, um, you know, there are gates all along the bits which are, in fact, supposed to be public highway. So even though these rules are in place, you know, to keep places public, they're not observed. They're gates which don't lock, interestingly. So that's obviously the way they get around it. But they are there. And, you know, the it looks like an obstruction and unless you open it most people see a gate they think well i shouldn't open that unless you open it you can't you have to actually go through it and you know be active in your sort of intrusion as it were i mean i remember when uh, when the the garden bridge was proposed yeah you know at the beginning i thought oh this is a lovely bridge it's uh, yeah. it adds another crossing but when i heard that no more than 10 people could cross it in one one goer as a group to avoid demonstrations, and that it, sometimes it could be closed for special functions, I thought, this is no longer a public space. And that, that's when I started to turn uh, in, not in, no longer in favour of the, of the bridge. And just while we're on, before we move on to other matters, just while we're on sort of restrictions in these spaces that are privately owned, I mean, and maybe in publicly owned spaces too, the treatment of the homeless and the so-called defensive architecture. You know, as we said already, all sorts of activities are banned in privately owned public spaces and homeless people are not allowed in, in these spaces as well. It's not just the privately owned estates. It's also business improvement districts, which have private management of areas, which also crisscross UK cities and these don't allow homeless people within their territories either uh, and this crosses over with lots of security people literally moving people on uh, homeless people on and also with the hostile defensive uh, architecture and this is a really really problematic issue I mean it's something which comes to us from the US they were yeah. you know they introduced these policies long before we did um, and it's a very problematic issue just on other matters um there's lots of different threats, it seems to me, to sort of public space, or not threats, but sort of impediments, maybe. Christoph, talk about this issue of cars, pedestrians, the development of the city. Because, you know, in a way, we're all more conscious of the environmental challenge. If I think about Doncaster, you know, in the 19, I think, 50s, 60s, they built a huge kind of road sort of through it. Uh, you know, whoever is responsible for that, it was a terrible decision because it sort of broke up uh, the town in a, in quite a sort of problematic way. It's good for car drivers, but not for anybody else. Um, what, what talk about this evolution of thinking? What happens? It happened is in in London, in Birmingham, in Manchester, in in the big city. Um, traffic engineers started to make life easier for the car and yeah. making it more fluid so they created roundabouts they created flyover they created pedestrian underpasses um, and all of that actually breaks the cohesiveness of the city for the pedestrian for the cyclist um, and and we are now in many ways repairing 30 40 years of that kind of let's make the car the the, the king or queen of the of the city uh, and we've reversed that by making more pedestrian routes, more cycle highways. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, it took 40 years to 
create the situation and it probably will create quite a long time, maybe 20 or 40 years to redress. What would be the more radical thing to do? What would be the thing? What would you want? Uh, well, something else is going to happen, yeah. which is that autonomous cars are likely to come our way right. in the next 20 years. And therefore, there will be probably one-tenth of the car needed because they won't need to be parked. Therefore, we won't have streets filled with cars. We probably will have bigger front gardens. We'll probably have an opportunity to create better communities uh, with maybe just one single cycle lane in the center of our of our streets. And um, and so there will be less cars and, and they will be maybe more intelligent and therefore... And uh, we won't need the roundabouts and the complex infrastructure that is required. So slowly, I think, I hope you agree that, that we're going to see um, uh, the pedestrian and the cyclist and maybe the rollerblader and the jogger having a better chance of commanding the city. Just an aspirational jogger. So that's aspirational rollerblader. One of the really important things is diversity of uses again, because, you know, when you have pedestrianisation, one of the issues can be actually just creating shopping streets right if you have really interesting sort of streets where you know as you say you've got you know people strolling up and down the streets you've got the jogger you know you've got the rollerblader you've got the skateboarder I mean what I really loved about Barcelona when I went there recently there were people just skateboarding all over the city you know I mean the streets are quite narrow they so that's about sort of is it mixed you yeah just so because it but this speaks to the issue about the people are worried about the decline of the high street it's not always going to be shops what so that well i think you know shops for sure but we don't want to just be creating these shopping areas and actually pedestrianization quite often means shopping areas so when we we're thinking about pedestrianization for oxford street you know i think that's one of the very big motivations of the business improvement district which is thinking about that you know for oxford street i doubt they're thinking you know let's get skateboarders on oxford street let's get all sorts of people you know i think it's just about having a sort of you know really open mind about pedestrianization yeah i I mean, Exmouth Market is not really a shopping street. It's a, it's more a place to eat and a, so it's Exmouth Market in London, yeah, in London, yeah. yes. Um, so I think there are. I think you've touched on the on the the future of the high street, and I think that's yeah. very much on uh, on the radar. Because people are shopping at the online, they're out of town yeah. shopping centres. So what? How do we use public space to congregate and? The, the high street of the future that I imagine at the moment is one where uh, you can go and see a, a tradesman, a plumber, or a, uh, an electrician. You can, you would have probably your pharmacy and the things that you really need. There'd probably be something around well-being and health and therapies and and uh, that sort of thing. And I guess that we might see things like uh, learning and colleges being linked to the high street. So suddenly. We, the shopping, I'm, I think, will will disappear. I completely agree with you, and I love your conception of the high street, but it actually links into this issue of affordability because, you know, the plumber and the DIY At the moment, shop, it's Starbucks and Costa. Yeah, it's the people that can afford the rents. And actually, the shops that we find really, really useful, you know, and the reasons we're not shopping and going to sort of the local shop is because the local shop is priced out. So we have to introduce mechanisms, which they do have in lots of other European cities, to what ensure... Do they, what would they do... Well, actually, in Paris, they were so shocked about what was happening in London that they even called it la Londonisation. Essentially, they said, you know, we have to ring fence a certain amount of affordable space. You know, we for have shops to, or for 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 small shops. Right. You know, and we have to create affordable space, and you can do that. You know, quite easily. So are they doing that through business rates, or are they doing it by getting private, but putting restrictions on private landlords? I think there's a number of mechanisms. I mean, one is when you have a small shop to say it has to stay a small shop. You can't knock through it, create a big space, and have a large mobile phone shop. So that's a planning. Do you know about Athens, Georgia? I don't. So REM and the B-52s are big musical exports from that town. And as they started to make money, they strategically bought... So they didn't buy up the town centre, but they bought buildings so that there were no double units that didn't... where one building didn't belong to one or the other of them. Wow. So that no large shops could come in. 
everything was a single unit. Well, these are just tiny little interventions which make a really big difference. So that's just a planning regulation. And then the other thing is just saying X amount of space stays on affordable rents. Yeah, and also keeping shops independent with the help also because... That's the upsetting thing is when you get a big chain, yeah. the money doesn't go back to the community. It goes away to some you know, larger entity. And France and Greece and Italy are, are probably better at kind of having that kind of pride for the local charcuterie or the local this or that. And we've talked a little bit about children and young people already, but, but maybe we've talked a bit about it a bit more in the role of public places as places where kids can... Can play. Talk to us about young people and their role in this public space question. Yeah, I mean, I feel that actually young people have a critical role to play here. And again, I mean, that comes back to the privatisation of public space, because actually, a knot of young people, you know, hanging around together, are going to immediately be picked up by the CCTV cameras. And there'll be a message in the security guards ear saying, go and check out what those young people are doing, and they'll probably be moved on. So, you know, there have to be spaces. Jeff's uh, sort of considers himself a young person. Does that happen to you a lot? When I'm loitering on street corners, he does. Yeah, yeah, experience, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the, the the healthy city, which really works, actually really encourages loitering. You know, it's all yeah, about loitering. That's a good point. Yeah. And you know, loitering to just sort of look around you. And I'm sort a great loiterer. Let's time. loiter more. Yeah. Loiter without purpose. <laughs> I'm going to pitch a new podcast, Loiter with Lloyd. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I remember when my son was young. You know, you you couldn't let him play in the street because it was deemed to be too dangerous so you'd go to the playground which was a kind of monocultural environment with parents looking after their child Uh, but you know at the moment there's a big topic about loneliness and all these old people that are on their own you know in 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 spain or in italy they might be on the steps of their house with their cane looking at children playing in the street and there would be this kind of rapport and at the moment we've compartmentalized the children and the old people and they never get a place to to come together so wouldn't it be wonderful to create spaces that are not playgrounds but are informal playgrounds where old people and young people and people of all generations kind of are there good examples of that i was going to come on to ask you both about examples about good public spaces either here or abroad that you think about well, I, I mean, I, you asked the question yeah. and I think about the, the Palais Royal in Paris where there is this kind of lovely enclosed noble space in a way and um, there's benches for old people and there's these funny columns by Duren that, are, that you can play around. And um, that's a park, is it? But it's but it's not the playground. I it's mean, one that all comes to yeah. mind for me, uh, quite recent uh, space is Windrush Square in Brixton. I don't know if any of you know it. It was actually a project which was part of the uh, mayor's public spaces programs, and I lived around the corner from it. And I was convinced it was going to be awful. You know, it was the centre of Brixton. It was the bit where every time you walked past, you'd be offered drugs. You know, there were all the reasons to introduce loads of security and to just, you know, change the nature of Brixton. And it's not like that at all. It's got an immediate advantage, which is that it's outside the Ritzy in a cafe, so it's a meeting uh, space. But the steps of the square are just in the summer, you know, they're sort of three deep, people just sitting there chatting, drinking. Everybody can use that space. Skateboarders to your heart's delight, kids in the fountain, and yes, street drinkers as well. You know, nobody has been excluded from that space. There are no security guards. There probably is some CCTV, but it's really, really unobtrusive. And I've never seen, you know, people being pulled up for what they're doing. And it works really well. And I would imagine that scheme cost a fraction of you know what most big regeneration schemes cost so it's really really easy to do so we've got this thing on the podcast um and just bear with me here called the jeffocracy which is jeff as the uh benign benign ish uh supreme ruler now if we were to and I, i already feel i'm sure jeff does too that you're ideal candidates for this job if we were to make you sort of joint ministers for public space uh they're <laughs> high-fiving um tell us what you would tell us what you would do 
You know, Jeff calls you in. It's first day in office. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get it over and done with quite quickly so I can go and loiter somewhere. Yeah. So so what is the first thing you do on, on day one? What's well, your I, idea? I've got two things. Okay. So I would introduce an urban right to roam, yeah. which allows everybody to go into every public space, public or private. Uh, and I would also... And we don't have that at the moment. Absolutely not. No. No. Uh, absolutely not i mean you and know, do anything i mean legally not, well legally yeah. yes of course not yeah. you know not go crazy sure. but sure. you know so long as it's within sure. the bounds of the law yeah you know why can i not yeah. do whatever i can do on the street outside yeah. here in yeah. other spaces and my second one would be to create lots of windrush squares great christoph um create community hubs on high streets community hubs what would they look like well, they would be they would be places with colleges. They would be uh, uh, a place where it's no longer where the community comes together no longer around shopping, but around things to do with uh, wanting to be together, eating, drinking, um, uh, learning, uh, making, uh, and maybe also um, the, the the other thing that that we always forget is we're moving. Um, uh, manufacturing away from the edges of the city and there's something really beautiful when you're in Marrakesh and you see people making furniture and, and leather goods and so on and and we've we can do that in 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 London and actually the mayor is proposing to to put housing above uh, workshops and, and 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 therefore suddenly you want to repair your bike you go on the high street and you have you have it you can repair it there and you can so and if you want to to buy a piece of plumbing, you can go to the high street, and 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 the workshops are there. Uh, otherwise, it'll take three hours to go and get an MOT. It'll take three hours to get somebody to fix your your bathroom. So we we need to uh, the the sense of mixed uses rather than putting residential to one corner and and uh, offices in another. That kind of segregation of uses is is not helpful for a healthy city. What about radical action on cars? No I cars. Just, yeah. No cars. Can you live without a car? No yeah. cars anywhere. Well, no, I think we need a, you need cars, but they wouldn't be yours. I think maybe what we could think of is, is no car ownership, so that you can use a zip car or you can use a, another kind of a, a car club uh, option. But I'm also thinking that towns and cities, just the centre of towns and cities can be so much... I mean, you know, they are just different if the car... I mean, to, we're accepting the point that, it, you know, you want to make sure it's not just about shopping and therefore then it's... Ed, you're right, because, you know, one of my... The greatest pleasures I have in life is when walking in Venice and you can talk and walk without ever worrying about the car crossing your path. And it makes for an extraordinary fluidity of thought because i don't know somehow it's the water as well it, the water helps the water helps but more but, water too but when you're walking and talking there's something that happens that that is magic the idea of the right to roam is actually in my mind the same as the right to promenade that 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 idea of being able to go from a to b without going in a straight line I can see you as a promenader. Oh, I'm a great promenader. You want to see me on holiday? Really? Yeah. You do a lot yeah, of promenading. Yeah, a lot of promenading. Anna Minton, Christoph E. Gray, I'm sorry it's taken six years to have this conversation as we should have done, but it's been a pleasure having you both. My, our pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you're, they both get the job, don't they, Jeff? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to speak now to Phil Myrick, who is the CEO of the Project for Public Spaces in the United States. Phil, thank you for joining us. Um, can you talk to us first about what it is that you campaign for? Well, the Project for Public Spaces really campaigns for this idea of placemaking, but it's really working with all types of communities to help them bring out their uh, most community and social side of things, which what we found over decades is that many communities have really been stripped of the social ties that are traditional to, you know, the way humans uh, are meant to be in group interaction and social lives over 50 or 60 years, at least in the, in, in this country, various things have sort of interfered with the thriving community life. And so in, in many cases, we work with local residents and other local actors 
to help them come up with ideas and to participate in action projects that help community life flourish again. Can you uh, maybe give us an example of a project that you've worked on that you feel has been particularly successful? We've worked quite a bit in Detroit, in some of the neighborhoods that are really have have struggled over the years and continue to struggle, as you've probably read in the newspapers as well, bringing fresh food and markets to these neighborhoods that are often what we call food deserts, making those markets the centerpiece for social life in those communities. So they become the the centerpiece of, of a gathering place. You can start to then add other ingredients, other vendors, other uses, other you know shops may then want to locate across the street from that. It may eventually incent other people to move closer to a central location or even for someone to develop a lot that had been vacant for years and years. Give us a sense, uh, again, from maybe examples of how much of a transformation doing the right thing here can bring. You know, we've got huge economic pressures on different uh, urban areas, huge uh, other pressures too. Can it be genuinely transformative? It really can. And in fact, there, there are some examples that are so powerful that we really need to rethink how we do our work in different contexts. And I'll give you an example. Again, in Detroit, we we started working there in the year 2000 in the central part of downtown, which had really lost almost all of its economic activity. It was a very depressed place. And we helped to envision, we led a community process that envisioned transforming this major intersection into a major public space instead and developed the whole program and details of what would go on there. A local designer was then brought in to work with us to to do that design and and it was implemented, I think opened in 2004. The name of this, this park is Campus Martius. Now, the impact of the improvements that were made and the programming and activities that the management brought in um, very effectively had a really profound impact. It brought in a large company who decided to relocate from the suburbs into downtown, having seen this improvement. There was suddenly sort of a domino effect in a positive way, attracting other people to live downtown. Just from getting rid of the cars, essentially. Well, you know, the cars were actually still there. They were uh, rerouted around the park, so there's an oval-shaped park, and traffic continued to move through there. I see. But it was such an attractive reclamation of the the very center of downtown that it changed everybody's perception. And so now if you go downtown Detroit... It's actually an absolute boom town. It's one of the most active building booms going on in America right now. So it's very, very impressive. And it's very appropriate to have that kind of economic activity in a location like that. Phil Myrick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So what do you think? Well, I found Christoph's vision of the future yes. and what cities might look like and the stuff with automatic cars. I found that very inspiring. And I love this idea as well of the urban right to roam. It's very sw- Swedish. They've got Allemansrätt over there, which means you can, you know, all so spaces, public already. space. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can go in. I mean, there's certain rules about not being able to pitch a tent on somebody's front lawn, but yeah. I think sort of Alamans Rat. It's what that, um, the, the right to roam in the countryside that Labour introduced was based on, I think. I think it's a really big idea. And also, I think, you know, I think it is been an under, um, talked about area of public policy, not just by me and my failure to get to properly take up Christoph's ideas, but I think it does, I think it really speaks to people's quality of life. I think there's a whole other issue around public buildings, but but the public space really speaks to people's quality of life. Uh, and also, I, lo- I love the point that Christoph made about sort of mixing people together, not having like the children's play area separate from the elderly. And, you know, that isn't something, you know, on the continent, they're just much better at doing that, I think. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, more loitering. Yeah, I'm very pro-loitering. The man who came to loiter. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com If you've got thoughts about what you've heard on today's episode about public space or other thoughts on what we should do in future episodes or previous episodes, please do get in touch with us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at cheerfulpodcast and facebook.com forward slash reasons to be cheerful podcast. And we should say there's a bit of a backlog on some of the correspondence we've had because of Christmas. So forgive us, we will try and get to your great emails. Speaking of great emails, this one comes from Beau Franson, who says, I'm running Farmer a... Franson. Farmer Franson, yeah. I'm uh, running a small dairy farm with 60 cows, along with my father-in-law in the Swedish archipelago north of Stockholm. The word archipelago immediately makes me want to go and visit. Oh, my, it's the most beautiful place in the world, really? Stockholm's Skärgård. Right. That's uh, Swedish for archipelago. Oh. Yeah. Um my wife-to-be and her whole family uh, are running a dairy, a cafe, burger restaurant, ice cream restaurant, and an ice cream stand. Everything stemming from the meat and milk of our own cows. Needless to say, we're fairly busy most of the year. We work six or seven days a week most weeks, and during the summer it gets worse because we also employ 70 summer staff to keep us going through the high season. Now, why am I writing to you? What I've concluded is that I need to build up my network of contacts. Well, hang on, he says, your podcast is bloody good. Why did you miss that out? Because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to read the, read the compliments. I'm not like you. I don't sit here <laughs> reading out every compliment about the podcast. Fair enough. I take the compliments. I, I enjoy receiving them, them internalising right. okay. them. Okay, oh. okay. <laughs> Is that the only reason you thought this was the email we should do? No, no, I like Farmer Franson, but, you know. He says, um, what I've concluded is I need to build up my network of contacts. Uh, So I'm going to send you emails, maybe DMs on Insta if you're active in that forum. I'll keep it short and personal, and hopefully you'll start to take a liking to me and my wonderful family, stroke work, stroke cows, part of the family, really. And I'll be asking about issues that are relevant in my life, and I'll ask you for inspiring people that touch on those subjects in your podcast. Uh, he, he does mention that he doesn't expect us to go and work on the uh, on the farm, which would be, you know, as, as a veggie, I don't think I'd be great with some of the stuff, but I'd, I think I'd be sort of happy to work on an ice cream well, he's stall th- in think, the archipelago. He think you've organised, exactly, and he think you've organised a park run in the archipelago. Is it like way far north then? No, it's very close to Stockholm, actually. Oh, like the, uh, the, what does archipelago mean? It means like lots of small islands. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, and he says his first question he wants to ask yeah. is, how do I reach out to people I find inspiring without coming across as creepy or a weird guy i'm not used to making contact with strangers i'm not sure how to do it especially not online well i think this e- email shows you do know how to do it Bo. yeah we really like you Bo. yeah um and we and maybe really we come to that archipelago we do we do right a couple of uh emails on uh park run this is part of the continuing efforts to get jeff fit in 2019 uh, this i have is from- got a long-term plan have you Yes, but like I mean, Theresa May. Yeah, yeah. The park run is is phase, stable. Phase, I'd start doing the pe- park run at phase three. 
What's phase one and two? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Uh, this is from Dan Myers. I really identified with Jeff's comments on his relationship with exercise and how he was treated at school. I'm also a classic non-sporty last to be picked for the football team kind of guy. And the only sport I represented my school at was bridge. I hated <laughs> cross-country. Yeah. I hated cross-country runs with a passion would do anything to get out of competitive sport. Then 2015 at age 39, which is sort of similar to your age, I decided to take up running and signed up for a 5k with a few work colleagues. It seems it seemed absolutely insurmountable to me to run that distance. Uh, I literally thought that my body was not cut out for it, uh, but he did it. Uh, and he said, like many people, I use the Couch to 5K app to get into running. I found it to be amazing, especially the progress you make in the first few weeks. Bella Mackey, who was on our uh, Parkrun episode, uh, was totally right. It's all about building up gradually. And when you start, you're literally just running for 30 seconds and a minute, and it builds up over a period of eight weeks. Believe me, Jeff, if you can do it, if I can do it, Anyone can. You don't need a personal trainer. I'm definitely turning it around in my brain. I, I, I am th- I'm thinking about it. I found uh, Bella the bestseller very in- inspiring yep. on that too. Because uh, she is a bestseller now. She is, thanks yeah. to us. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then Lance Cochran, uh, he tells a really great story. Um, he and his wife are both keen runners. Uh, they compete in events for masters that he says are over 35 so actually both in our 50s making us borderline baby boomers uh, and he talks about doing park run in south africa and meeting a young man who'd lost both his parents uh, who they've formed a very good friendship um with they've they've stayed in touch uh with each other um they've gone back to visit cape town uh and uh, have done more park runs uh, together uh, and he says we've met lots of other awesome people at park runs in cape town including a baptist pastor who we've become very good friends with despite being atheists and a current south african olympian a brilliant middle distance runner whose parents actually organized one of the park runs so so look that is just to give you some inspiration it's a bit like aa in that you've got this ready-made family all, all wherever you travel exactly. in the world isn't it exactly yeah. Uh, this comes from Elizabeth Glennon, who says, Dear Ed and Jeff, my boyfriend recommended I listen to your podcast. And unfortunately, I have to admit that I, I ignored what proved to be very good advice for several months. Uh, we'd, we'd like to thank Elizabeth's boyfriend for ploughing away there. Um, it's all right to read that bit out, is it? Yeah, because th- there was a point, right? <laughs> right. There was a point, the nagging. The, I see, I see. The nagging, I feel, had So some... you've got to sort of... So basically, you want to, like broadcast the praise but just in a you just need to have a bit of subtlety well i just feel there was some editorial value right okay. in her having a, a, a boyfriend Good. saying listen to Fine. this i i admire the the Reithian, <laughs> the Reithian approach <laughs> jeff wreath lloyd that's me um she says after hearing your episode on culture then again your more recent episode on part run i realized you need to do an episode on fun palaces yes i like this already so what is it? Uh, she adds, I, I first got involved with the Fun Palace movement yeah. in 2014. Um, Fun Palaces are a campaign to promote science, art and culture. It's built on an idea from the 60s by Joan Littlewood and Cedric Price. She adds that there is a great. website. She says it's kind of hard to explain it without making it sound like a fate. Uh, but she adds, there, there is a scene from the movie Paddington 2 which I believe Ed is a fan of. Yeah. We're both big fan of that film, yeah, aren't yeah. we? Paddington 1 gave my children traumatic uh, nightmares, <laughs> but but uh, uh, Paddington 2 was okay. Um, she says it, it sums up fun palaces. After an unfortunate incident over lunch in prison, um, Paddington ends up teaching Knuckles, the chef, to make marmalade. This is somewhat of a revelation to all the prisoners who've been eating rather unappetising porridge so far. In fact, they become so bold as to suggest that they could eat even more other food, but Paddington only knows how to make marmalade. At this point, the prisoners, one by one, realise they can cook one dish each and come together to learn each other's dishes vastly improving meal times this is fun palaces i I think i'm grasping that although i found the bit where paddington was wrongfully jailed quite traumatic yeah i don't i don't like it when just the justice system breaks down like that i agree um Members of the local community come together, each bring in what they know, and everyone else simply has a go. This can be anything. It can happen anywhere. Ours was outside the uh, the local Lido. Some people brought canoes to go in the pool. The local triathlon club brought some bikes and did swim coaching. Sounds local great. Local artists. It, it does sound great. Art storytelling. They use massive chalk to draw on the pavement. Uh, a local illusioner did several shows. Me and some friends from work created science workshops. We even had a bat and horses visit. All of this was completely free. 
to anyone who came along and over 2,000 people turned up. It's a fantastic day to be part of. Uh, the great thing about Fun Palaces is they take culture to the people, making you feel like you're part of a local community. And she adds, which in busy places like London often feels and they, a bit lost. And they happen every October, is that right? Uh, yeah, but I think maybe... Or, or is it more often than that? Well, I I've got some reason for thinking they happen in October, but I don't know. Um, fun, yeah, so on the Fun Palaces uh, website, it says an ongoing campaign for cultural democracy, an annual weekend of action every October. So plenty of time to build your Fun Palace. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. And here to uh, to suggest some ideas which could be reasons to be cheerful. We're joined by comedian Heidi Regan. Hello. 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 So we were just talking before we switched the microphone on. Sharks and international trade deals. Finally, somebody has made the link between the two Finally, of them. Finally. Somebody is Finally, not the first. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a, sh- a show you did at Edinburgh last year. Yeah. I basically, I was worried about the world and I kept reading stuff about all the important things uh, that are going on is in the boring stuff. So I was like thinking, what should I focus on climate change or NHS and blah, blah. And then I somehow got onto these uh, free trade deals. Then I thought I'll focus on one bit, investor state dispute settlements. I talked so, about so that. you've lost me at the moment. Yeah, Ed. yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm I won't explain what they are. You know well, what this I is about these about. courts that then arbitrate, and they can have they can favour corporations over governments, over basically. Governments, yeah, yeah. Then I made the show about how boring that was for the audiences I tried it out on, and then I just started talking about my main passion in my twenties, which was bad shark films. I don't want to spoil the surprise if anyone comes see the show, but yeah, it but come, comes back. There's a link to trade deals. There is a link What's that I make link? to... If, if Heidi says, if you want to find out oh, the link, see. come to my show, you will sell some tickets. Oh, okay, way. fine. Um, I can tell you off air what the link is. Off air, fine, fine. Yeah. Sounds great. So you are on tour with that show at the moment. I'm just doing uh, three dates in uh, 18th, 19th, 20th of March at Soho Theatre. Everybody should go to know about the difference between shark attacks and free trade deals. We know because we've been told off air. <laughs> Um, so, Heidi, uh, you brought uh, along some ideas for us. What's I the, have. What's the first one? My first one, which actually relates to the show that I was just talking about, was that how much I found reading up on all these trade deals so boring, uh, but I know it's important and I still don't understand them. So I thought government should give us an incentive to read up and do tests on the most boring things there are in politics, and we are rewarded with, like, holiday vouchers or something that's a luxury so it doesn't become like... It's really interesting you should say this because Jeff's wife had to go through a citizenship test. Yeah. And the citizenship test has some questions which are pretty basic and you would know as a British citizen. And it's got quite a lot that are completely incomprehensible. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Not incomprehensible, but sort of, you know, you would never know them. But they also were... Length of the biotapestry, yeah. how many ski slopes in Scotland. But they weren't, they weren't useful things to know, whereas this would be boring but useful and you would end up with a more informed electorate, right? Yeah, Rather yeah. And, and, and like, mean, well, it, sounds, quizzes. it sounds very... It's, I know it sounds like a condescending thing to be like, we need to all learn what, but it was based on my complete inability to comprehend anything of these trade deals. And I thought I, I had an incentive of an Edinburgh show and I still couldn't. What about this idea that the, uh, the establishment would rather we weren't informed? Probably that's true. So they're not going to give us the money for the holiday. Well, yeah, I mean, no, yeah, the government's not going to do it. No. I mean, no. Yeah. No, no, I agree. So we, <laughs> we all worship the devil in private together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so, uh, you take tests on complicated policy issues. Yeah. Uh, in return for holiday vouchers. Yeah. Like, I, I b- 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 uh, oh, Brexit. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have next, Heidi? I think everyone should have to speak either with a Scottish accent or maybe a like Southern Bell accent based on the fact that. The only accent I can do is a Southern Bell. Go on. I mean, I, can do, I, mean, I literally can only say, um, I do declare. <laughs> very, yeah. That was a very Thank good, you. I do, do declare. declare. <laughs> and it's a fun one to do. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is that then you won't have any other like classism that comes from just hearing someone's accent and making assumptions because we'll all be doing the same bad accent and what about the scottish accent the scottish one i can't do oh, but on, i just it's the nicest sounding accent so i could learn go on have a go i mean I'll like all i know is you go Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and what is it that to develop cultural understanding it's, no, no, it's no, a great so leveler isn't it people, to stop the class system yeah stop the class system because when i moved oh, we here speak I, like that permanently. yeah the fact that 
uh, people would know what kind of school you went to from your accent. Totally. Like, this is so, crazy. so you don't. That's not the case in Australia where you grew up. No, at apparently all. we have three accents in Australia: broad, neutral, and this one accent that sounds a bit English, and it's just in Adelaide or something weird. So you can't tell. Any, I can't. When I meet in Australia, I don't know where they're from or if they're fancy or not fancy. Yeah. Wouldn't be a problem if you were Southern Belle. I do declare. Cotillion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's a great idea, this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right, what else you got, Heidi? Okay, this one I think is a, serious, a genuine one that should be the law. Uh, no one who in any way profits from fossil fuels or who's an active climate change denier should be allowed to buy these big bunkers the super rich are buying for the apocalypse. It, like, it should be, they don't get to have a plan B. I've not heard about the bunkers. Oh, it. yeah. These, the, the, <laughs> they're like very luxur- luxurious yeah, versions of doomsday preppers. Yeah, yeah. And it's the super rich. Presumably, when you were leader of the opposition, yeah. like, I imagine there's a list of people who get to go in the bunker. Yeah. yeah. Were you on the list? I couldn't tell you, obviously. Did anybody oh, ever tell you? you? Look, <laughs> did anybody ever tell you, look, if, if, if the apocalypse comes, you'll be all right. You've, you've got a passcode for the, for the bunker. That'll be telling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're not on the list anymore. They would have re- re- Yeah, all right. Re- all right. Changed the code since Don't then. rub it in. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, he so, always does that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Heidi, what else do you have? Okay, this one was based on your podcast episode about plastics. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. When I was shocked when they said how much plastic is in clothing, that's bad. So I know uh, my girlfriend pointed out that this never is a good sign in a dystopia film, but I think we should all have to wear the same monochrome, depressing you know, pastel tunics or whatever. You know how yeah. every dystopia film they're like all Blake, wearing the Bla- same. Blake Seven, yeah, Blake yeah Seven. that kind of and uh, uh, Logan's Run and that kind of thing. Yes, and the benefits are people like me who don't know how to dress well. We never have to worry. Like I liked school, how we had a uniform. I didn't. Uh, have to I didn't know how to dress day. well either. So, yeah. so, so, so it'd be helpful. I've Negatives. Got, I've got a brown corduroy suit. You see, yeah. I have a video of my dad on a quiz show in, I think, in his brown corduroy suit. So uh, right, and I guess it's not highly complimentary. I mean, that's. I'm not laughing at that. Yeah, you're clip. laughing with me. It'll, it'll laugh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. laughing with me yeah, rather yeah, than yeah, at yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, we'll take it under advisement. Yeah, yeah. Look into it. Yeah. yeah. So Heidi, once again, the show is in March. Yep. And it's called? It's called Heidi versus Sharks, without that. Heidi versus the Sharks? Versus Sharks. That's great. It was because all the shark films are called like Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And it's at the Soho Theatre in London. Yes. Uh, on the 18th, 19th, 20th of March. And you have definitely not jumped the shark. (laughs) This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So that was it, the big 7-0, episode 70. Yes. We didn't acknowledge that, did we? No, so we've got our sort of free tv license <laughs> yes <laughs> we don't you just always feel 75 the need to, you always feel the need to acknowledge a number if there's a zero on the end of it or if it's uh, a multiple of 25 that's it's the true. rule isn't it yeah that's true that's uh, we sh- hadn't thought about it like that yeah so we should go out and party now we should yes life begins at 70 now you you've been out uh, recently you've been to the pictures i did and i saw the favorite with olivia coleman and you know i found it very reassuring because she is accused in that of looking like a badger. Just like you worried just, about all I those was, years so, ago. So, you know, it's not just me that worries about looking like a badger. Have you thought about maybe creating some kind of support group for other people who worry That's that they look true. like badgers? The the association of sort of badger... Badgery people. Ba- badger. The association of <laughs> the badger, badger lookalikes. <laughs> We should do that as a feature on the podcast. You get people, if you're worried that you look like a badger, send in a photograph of yourself and we will evaluate it and tell you whether you look like a badger or not. That's true. Okay, yeah. that's that's good. There do we go. Think, is, is that a thing now? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Really? Uh, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Right. Watch, we're going to be inundated With by badgery badger people. pictures. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're off to... You're off to Salford. I am. The Swiss Radio- Army Knife continues. It does Radio 5 Live this weekend, which will have happened by the time the podcast comes out. And then to Liverpool on Monday, uh, I'm doing a thing at the Cavern Club. 
which is where the this yes. band the Beatles. Yes. I know that pop yes. culture isn't always your thing, but the Beatles. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was very. Uh, uh, very they were important. big in the 60s. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah everywhere. Yeah. Um, so we should do our thank yous to our guests. I'd like to thank Christoph Igre, Anna Minton, and Phil Myrick. And thanks to Heidi Regan, carving a niche there with shark-based material. Emma Caution produced our podcast. Did a fantastic job of it, as Indeed. you can hear. Music yep. from Ed Seed. Yeah, he made the music. And G- James Deacon made did the music. Did our yeah, And yeah. Gail Lofthouse is our brilliant announcer. It, she really is. And, uh, and the artwork was designed by Emily, Emily Power. Uh, so I think we're done here. We just need uh, our little outro bit, which I know people enjoy every week. So um, it takes us long enough to think it up. <laughs> He's been Jeff, the loiterer Lloyd. He's been Promenade Miliband. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.